Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold, post-Calver Gold, your trusted feeding partner for your dairy herd this spring. On C103. Hello and welcome to Farm Talk. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Dairy Gold released its annual report for 2020, another very strong performance despite the challenges posed last year. Bordis Kigwara is also upbeat about the performance of the seafood industry in its report. Irish Farmers Journal recently held its first ever virtual machinery day online. We hear from a Cork participant. Online applications and deadlines, there's a timely reminder about several schemes again this week. And John O'Connor has more on the stories which are making the agri-news this week. Farm Talk on C103. North Cork-based Dairy Gold Cooperative Society has announced its results for 2020, delivering a strong financial performance despite the challenges posed by the COVID pandemic. Turnover for the year was in excess of €1 billion, which was in line with the previous year's outcome. In the first of a two-part report today and in next Wednesday's programme, John O'Connor takes a look at the overall performance by Dairy Gold in 2020. The cooperative delivered an EBITDA of €53.8 million and an operating profit of €26 million for the year, along with reducing its net bank debt by €38.7 million, reflecting improved performances by its core dairy and agribusinesses despite the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dairy Gold recorded turnover for the year of €1.017 billion, generally in line with the 2019 turnover of €1.020 billion. EBITDA was €53.8 million, with the core business performing ahead of 2019. Overall, there was an EBITDA reduction of €2.8 million, 4.9% on 2019, as a result of 2019 benefiting significantly from non-core property activities. The Society recorded an operating profit of €26 million for the year, a reduction of €9.8 million, 27.4% on the 2019 level, primarily due to the reduction in EBITDA and an increase in the depreciation, impairment and amortisation charge of about €7 million in 2020, following the completion of the significant capital investment programme. Following a decade of significant capital investment, Dairy Gold substantially reduced its bank debt to €119.2 million in 2020, a 24.5% decrease on the previous year's level of €157.9 million. This has resulted in a manageable net debt to EBITDA ratio of 2.221. 
at the end of 2020, the net asset value of the society stood at 387.7 million euro, an increase of 14.7 million euro, 3.9% on 2019. Dairy Gold collected and processed 1.43 billion litres of milk from its members in 2020, an increase of 2.7% on 2019. A five-year milk planning census carried out in the first quarter of 2020 forecasted that milk production from Dairy Gold's milk suppliers would grow at a modest level, about 2.6% per annum up to 2025. Milk growth into the future is expected to be delivered from an increased output per cow through improving genetics and herd management rather than through an increase in herd size. Dairy Gold now has the weekly peak processing capacity in place to process the forecasted milk growth by its member suppliers to 2025. Over the past decade, €425 million has been invested by Dairy Gold and its partners across its four processing sites, transforming the business into a world-class dairy ingredients provider. 2020 saw the completion of three strategically important dairy processing projects, including the infrastructure to support the new Jarlsberg cheese manufacturing complex in Mogili, in partnership with the Norwegian dairy cooperative Tyne SA, the redevelopment of the demineralised whey production facility at the Castle Farm Dairy Complex, and the establishment of another new milk evaporator and dryer at the Mallow Nutritionals Campus. In 2020, Dairy Gold conducted a comprehensive end-to-end review of its dairy business and support functions. The rapid and significant milk expansion of recent years had resulted in a greater number of customers and associated product specifications, as Dairy Gold drove to secure markets for the increased milk volumes. This transformation programme has reduced complexities and costs by reorganising the business into primary processors and higher margin business units to enhance efficiency and maximise returns from Dairy Gold's dairy product portfolio and providing clear direction and focus to the newly created higher margin health and nutrition business. Thanks, John. And we'll have more on the Dairy Gold 2020 report in next Wednesday night's programme. The importance of food service, a diversified portfolio and sector reliance were key to the seafood industry performance in 2020. Bordiski Vara recently published its annual Business of Seafood report. Despite the challenges posed by the pandemic, the seafood sector remained resilient and adapted to the market disruption. Dominic Rian is Director of Economic and Strategic Services at BIM. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, 2020, like for every business sector, uh, seafood was, was, is, is included in that. It was a challenging year. Um, and, you know, we did see a, de- uh, a decrease in, in growth. But, but I think things were, weren't maybe as bad as, as, as maybe we had anticipa- anticipated. The industry showed great resilience and adaptability to, to you know, to, the, to, to what COVID brought to, to, to the sector. Um, and, you know, during 2020, we saw an effective closure at times of, of the hospitality sector, the food service sector, which is of vital importance to seafood. Uh, and you know, by by adapting to that, they managed to make up some of the difference, some of the the, the losses, um, through you know increasing uh, uh, increasing sales into the retail market, uh, both domestically and globally. So, yeah, it was it was a challenging year, 
we were we did see a, a reduction of twelve percent of around hundred and forty odd million, but it wasn't as bad as 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 it, as, as it could have been, uh, and it, it certainly you know it 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 showed the resilience of the sector. What were the main sort of logistical things, Dominic, that you know the sector had to get over to continue to survive, if you like, during the pandemic? Probably the the, the biggest challenge was was just the, the logistics of, of of moving product from A to B. Uh, particularly into the export markets, you know, logistics were difficult. Yeah, there was, you know, with 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 social distancing, you know, different restrictions in different countries, markets, you know, markets are were difficult to access. If you look as well at just even on managing on fishing boats of social distancing on fishing boats, which is 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 in itself a very difficult it's a difficult environment in a, in a cramped environment. So those kind of challenges were 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 hard to, to adapt, but. I think, you know, throughout the whole pandemic, we saw very, very, very few cases of, of COVID outbreaks in, in fish processing factories and on fishing boats. You know, the number of cases there were, were, were very small. There were a few isolated incidents. All right. So, you know, I, I think it, it showed that the, the, the sector itself could, could adapt well. Um, and as I say, you know, a lot of the smaller retailers, uh, fishmongers, you know, they changed their business online, moved online sales, uh, home deliveries, that kind of thing. And, and all of that helped to, to, to get the sector through um, the year. And if we look at the report itself, what are the main highlights? There's a lot to talk about, but the main highlights of it, Dominic? I, I guess, you know, the, the, the main highlights were, you know, really the, the reduction in the food service sector, you know, where we saw 18 percent. Uh, less domestic consumption. Food service markets across the world and, and, and nationally were, were very, very difficult. Some of the highlights we saw was a big growth of, of exports to, to Africa. Um, you know, we saw we saw you know, a value of that, those exports growing by 87%. We saw growth in, in the Middle Eastern markets as well, um, around 40-odd percent there. This was mainly driven by exports of pelagic species like mackerel. They were strong when, when, when a lot of other export markets were weak. I think the other thing we saw was, was remarkable stability in, in employment across the sector, where we, you know, we continue to have 16,500 people employed directly and indirectly in the seafood industry. You know, around employment around the, the coastal regions, again, remains fairly strong. Uh, in, in your own region in Cork, 7% of, the, of, of employment was in the seafood sector there. So I think the stability in employment, growth in some export markets, decline in food service are kind of some of the, the, the main highlights from the report itself. You mentioned that Cork did quite well in, in the report. How do we fare as, as an industry compared to other parts of the country? Well, you know, the employment in, in, the, Cork, in the Cork County, you know, seafood accounts for 7% of the total employment um, in, the, in, the, in the county itself. So it's a fairly important uh, industry there. We have around uh, 1,800 to 2,000 directly employed and about 3,500 indirectly employed in service, services around the seafood sector. So that's strong and compares very, very well with, with, with many other of the other regions, coastal regions. Castle and Bear was the, the biggest, second biggest port uh, in terms of landings from, uh, in, in 2020. It has been consistently the, you know, the, the, among the top ports in the country. Around 104 million landed into Castle and Bear in 2020, so it remains a, um, a hive of activity in the seafood sector. Now, the challenges ahead will determine, I suppose, how we fare through 2021. What are the main challenges now for the seafood sector? In the short term, we still have COVID. Um, we still have a disruption around to, to, to the hospitality sector, again, nationally and, and, and internationally. That's still a challenge. 
Uh, we're not sure how long that's going to go for, go, lo- go on for. We, I suppose as vaccinations roll out, we would hope to see the food service sector open up across, as is, both domestically and, and and in the global markets. And, and we would hope the seafood sector bounces from that. The other main challenge is obviously Brexit, the fallout from the, the trade and cooperation agreement that was agreed on, on December 24th, where we have seen um, transfers of quota from the EU to the UK. Ireland has been significantly uh, impacted by you know that from that agreement. Um, we're looking at a, a reduction in our quotas over the next uh, five to six years of, of around 43 million, which is a big hit to, to, to the sector. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is going to be a challenge going forward. Um, there are also the logistical issues um, associated with Brexit of actually moving seafood, exporting and importing seafood in and out of Ireland um, into the UK and, and through the UK. Those are main challenges. Um, it's important to note that, that the Minister, um, Minister McAnaluk, has, has set up a, a seafood task force to look at some of these challenges going forward and hopefully will make some progress in looking at solutions and, and ways of mitigating those impacts. But there's no doubt that, that Brexit is challenging for the seafood sector and will be challenging going forward. Dominic Rian, Director of Economic and Strategic Services at Board Vara, speaking on the recently published Annual Business of Seafood Report. Farm Talk on C103. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine has announced that the legal requirement to confine or house poultry and other birds as a precautionary measure against avian influenza or bird flu has been lifted. The legislation was introduced last December to mitigate the risk of avian influenza in poultry. 
John O'Connor joins me to discuss the removal of the requirement to house poultry. The key change is that poultry no longer has to be housed indoors, but of course flock owners are still urged to exercise vigilance and caution in preventing transmission or incursion into the flock of the virus from contact with wild birds. And what has prompted the Department of Agriculture to relax the indoor regulation? Perhaps the most important reason for relaxing the indoor regulation is that for the past eight weeks or so, no case of avian influenza bird flu has been confirmed in wild birds in Ireland. Other grounds for easing the restriction include a reduction in the number of migratory wildfowl passing through recently, increased environmental seasonal temperatures and, of course, increasing daylight hours. Which regulations, then, are still in place? Measures still in force to combat bird flu are contained in the biosecurity regulation brought in on 1st of December 2020. That's number 566 of 2020. Firstly, the requirement that poultry or other captive birds cannot come into contact with wild birds. Secondly, that all areas that poultry and or captive birds have access to must be fenced off and they will be restricted from access to open or permanent standing water where practical open standing water, ponds etc. should be covered with netting if the poultry have access to them. What about bird shows and sales? Restrictions on the assembly of live birds for the purposes of a show or sale remain in place for the time being. And that regulation is covered in number 566 of 2020. And John, do these regulations still in force apply to someone who has only, say, one or two chickens? Should I be registered with the department with just one or two birds? If you only have one or two birds, you still have to have your premises registered with the department. That's according to the Chief Veterinary Officer. Guidance on how to register is available on the department's website. There's also an avian influenza helpline at the following number 076 So could you sum up the department's advice on how best to prevent the incursion of bird flu into your flock, even if you only have one or two birds at the moment? The Chief Veterinary Officer in the Department defines good biosecurity measures as the following. Limit the number of people who come onto the site. Use disinfectant foot dips when entering and exiting enclosures or houses. Fence off ponds, streams, boggy areas or standing water and drain these where possible. Place netting over ponds or cover ponds. Remove any wild bird feed sources. Deter wild birds by regularly walking through the area or by using predator decoys. Cleanse and disinfect concrete or other permeable areas. And finally, put down wood shavings in wet areas. And maybe you could repeat that phone number for anyone who requires clarification on how the current regulations affect their poultry. Certainly, the number is 076 106 That's 076 076- 106-4403, the Avian Influenza Helpline, Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. Thanks for that, John. Irish Farmers Journal recently held its first ever Virtual Machinery Day, supported by Enterprise Ireland. One of the online topics featured a County Cork farmer, Philip O'Neill, who discussed GPS systems and their benefits in spreading applications on the land.
Well, folks, today we are going to speak about GPS systems. The use of GPS systems and guidance technology on Irish farms has become increasingly popular in the last number of years. However, many farmers still think that GPS systems and technology is only associated with newer machinery and equipment. However, that isn't the case and we're going to prove that today. The big advantage when it comes to using such technology is that it'll aid us with the precise placement of costly inputs such as fertilizer or pesticides. The use of such GPS systems and technology will help take some of the guesswork out of applying such, such costly chemicals um, and in return offer more efficient and sustainable farming. Today we are in East Cork on the farm of Philip O'Neill. Philip runs a tillage and calf to beef enterprise. Ten years ago Philip made the decision to retrofit an entry-level guidance system to his New Holland TM155 and Rauch fertilizer spreader. Pushing this one step further, earlier this year, Philip availed of the Tillage Capital Investment Scheme to upgrade his GPS system and fertilizer spreader to a higher specification unit. Right, so now I'm joined with East Cork livestock and tillage farmer, Philip O'Neill. So, Philip, you're welcome. First off, I suppose, tell us a little bit about your enterprise here and what you do on a daily basis. I operate a calf-to-beef system. We buy and rear calves and we finish them slaughter. We also have a tillage enterprise of winter and spring crops, which we do, and a bit of forestry. Right. So, Philip, you were telling me there earlier on that uh, you first moved to a GPS system back in 2012. I suppose, why did you make the move to the GPS initially? Uh, I bought the Trimble 250 in 2011 for when I bought the Axis 351 uh, Roach machine, which was 24 meter spreading width. Prior to that, I was on 12 meters and just judging your distances and just accuracy, I felt that uh, GPS would have helped in which it did, and the system is still running. Right, and were you any bit skeptical about moving to the GPS or? You know, did you chat to anyone or did you know its advantages before you even bought it? Uh, yeah, I did. I talked to a few lads who did have it and look, they could only sing praises about it and look, as you got more familiar with it, you got more comfortable and you use it for a wider range of applications. Was, was it fairly easy to use it or was there much to get in the hang of it? Uh, there was a bit of getting used to it, all right. It wasn't. There was a few attempts, all right. But look, in the scheme of things, it was just very simple. Uh, once you got used to it at all, there was no hassle at all, you just walked away and looked to use it for different applications then once you got comfortable, you use it for like some mowing, spraying, fertiliser application on grassland and tillage ground prior to tram lines so, and rolling if you wanted as well. Yeah, yeah, so I suppose what are the main advantages or benefits that you've seen from the move to the entry-level GPS system? The accuracy of what you're spreading the product at your you're setting that GPS at 24 metres, you're spreading at 24 metres and you're not, there's no guesswork, it is what it is, you're set the machine to watch your spread with his and it, it just goes from that. So I suppose 10 years after initially moving to GPS, you're after upgrading the system, why did you upgrade and what have you upgraded to? Uh, I upgraded there due to the TAMS grant, so I applied for the grant and I received, uh, I bought the Axis 30.2 machine V8 which is eight sections and upgraded to the Trimble 350 system which corresponds with it so the two of them are working together which gives you variable rate as well. Yeah, so now you've upgraded the spreader to the full section control. Yeah. 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 Very good, very good. Full section. And I suppose, Philip, um, so you've 
nine years experience under hat now with the, the GPS would you recommend it to, to other fellow livestock farmers yeah I would look it's not to be all and end all it has its place on a farm but I just find for the system just makes jobs like fertilizer application spraying just makes it easier there's no guesswork with your wits there's no skips or overlaps and you're doing as best you can really with the application of fertilizer and sprays which are expensive at the moment that's great thanks very much Philip East Cork farmer Philip O'Neill discussing GPS systems on the Irish Farmers Journal recently held first ever virtual machinery day supported by Enterprise Ireland. A meeting is being sought with Minister McConnellogue by the IFA to clarify progress with the so-called REAP scheme, REAP, now seen by farmers as a pale reflection of what's being promoted by the department as REPS 2 type scheme. Mr Michael Biggins, IFA National Rural Development Committee Chairman, asserted that the much-hyped REPS 2-type scheme, now known as REAP, R-E-A-P, is nothing like the original REPS scheme. Speaking in advance of an urgently sought meeting with Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Mr McConlogue, the IFA chairman emphasised that what farmers needed now was a meaningful scheme with a base payment of €10,000. Such a scheme must be open to all farmers, not currently in gloss. Measures must be sensible, practical and not add unnecessary costs to farmers. If the government wants to live up to their promises, they must deliver on this. Part of a statement there from the IFA National Rural Development Committee Chairman, Mr Michael Biggins. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Farm Talk on C103. Welcome back. Last week we had a timely reminder about closing dates for three specific schemes, TAMS, Organic Farming and BPS. John Crowley of Tagus Clonakilty is with me this week to discuss the BPS and Dairy Calf schemes. And now that the BPS forms are here, what needs to be done to check over the paperwork? It's a huge, significant part of farmers' incomes there at the moment, particularly in the, in the B side, of, in the livestock area, you know. So the most important thing to check is that, number one, that your entitlements match up, that you have the number of entitlements that, that's, that you're supposed to have, and also, too, that you have the number of hectares to match those entitlements there, because if you don't have enough land for the amount of entitlements there, you could be short a little bit of land to use them or lose them. So if you didn't have enough hectares for the surplus entitlements, and if you didn't use them for this year, and if you didn't use it again the following year, the department could take them off you there in 2022, you know. If you had surplus entitlements, you could lease them out, all right, to other parties, all right, and that will help to save the entitlements and protect them. This year and next year really roll over years from the current, from the previous existing regime from 2015 to 2020. It's a help, all right, like, but look, we don't know what's going to happen post-2022, you know, uh, with when the new BPS comes out. But look, check that your areas are there. The other thing too is make sure if you added new farm roads or built new farm buildings, make sure to mark them off um, to exclude them off your areas because uh, otherwise you could be claimed for, for an overpayment and it could be penalties there. So check your maps you know, and make sure that they're that they're correct, you know, and that they're accurate. In terms of the beef suckler scheme then, John, the dairy calf scheme, and when is the closing date? Well, the beef suckler scheme, uh, beef S, which is, is practically nearly the same as last year, okay? Uh, what it involves, the main requirements is that you have to have, be a, have suckler farm, have suckler calves, and, but the cast have to be born between the 1st of July 2020 and the 30th of June 2021. The other thing then is when you apply for it, that you undertake the three actions. Well, the first action is mandatory. 
And that basically is you weigh the cow and you weigh the calf, okay, and the weights are done, are weighed and sent in to the ICBF by seven days after you weigh them. And those weights have to be into the ICBF by the 1st of November at the very latest, the 1st of November this year. So everyone has to do that if you want to, if you want to take part in that scheme. So that's compulsory. The next ones then are optional, okay? So the first optional one is basically you either undertake that you vaccinate the calves, take a vaccination program, or undertake a meal feeding program. Basically, that you meal feeding is you undertake to feed the weanings at least four weeks before weaning and two weeks after weaning, and you keep a record of the meals that you bought for, for the weaning. That's an optional one that you can do. And the second optional one is the fecal egg counts, which is basically that you take a dung sample there out of the 10 cows, you take them and you send them off to the laboratory. But they're optional. So the rate of payment of beef suckler is that for the first 10 cows and calves, you get 50 euro for the first 10 cows with their calves. And then the next 11 to 100, you get 40 euro for cow and calf weight. So that's for the, the mandatory for the weighing. For the meal feeding or the vaccinating, you'll get 30 euro per cow and calf. And that's what's weighed. And if you take the fecal egg count, you'll, also, you'll get a tenner for every cow and calf that's weighed if you take the fecal egg count. Most important thing about this is that closing date for this is the 26th of April. It's not the same day as the basic payment. 26th of April of this year is the closing date. So it's very important. And you apply online. There's no paper forms with this. You have to apply online to, to do your to get into the bee suckler scheme. If if it's oversubscribed, they what they'll do is they probably will cut the rate of payment all right to to farmers for it. You know, if if the if it if the number of farmers exceed the budget. The dairy beef is new this year. It was supposed to be in last year, but it but they didn't go through because I think when the bee suckler was such a demand, they, they moved the budget for the dairy beef into the bee suckler last year. But this year it's up and running okay and what it involves basically is that you have a herd number and that you send in your bps for this year and then you either have a male calf of a dairy breed or you have a male and female calf of a breed bred off a, a beef bred sire born to a dairy dam in your herd dairy calf is basically involved weighing the calves okay so the calves has to be at least 12 weeks of age before you weigh them Number two, if you're bought in the calves, they have to be in your herd for at least 10 days, okay, before you go to weigh them. And then you weigh them then, and then you, you have seven days then after weighing to send the weights into ICBF, record the weights onto ICBF. The difference with this scheme in relation to calves, it's only calves born after the 1st of January 2021 are eligible for the dairy to gas scheme. So it is completely different to the beef suckler. You must weigh a minimum of five calves. So five is the minimum number that you weigh. You won't get paid if you weigh less. But the max you get paid for is 20, 20 calves. And the rate of payment, you get 20 euro per eligible calf weight. But the most you get paid for is, is 20. So if you have 20 calves, 400 euros the most, you'll be, you'll be paid in relation to it. Again, I think it's the 1st of November, the weights have to be into the ICBF bar and they, they'll pay the scheme there in 2021. So again, the closing date for the dairy beef scheme is exactly the same as the beef suckler scheme. It's the 26th of April. Don't forget that. That's a very important date and not to forget it. John Crowley of Tagus Clonakilty and John will join us again on the programme next Wednesday night. Finian DC Dairy Gold Area Sales Manager in Muskery joins us to talk about reseeding. I began by asking Finian about choosing grass seed and what to look for. So I suppose firstly, um, all varieties should be on the department's recommended list, which is the PPI. Secondly, you should look at how does a variety rank on the PPI. And thirdly, how has a variety performed in grazing trials? So the pasture profit index is basically the EBI of grass varieties. So it compares and ranks grass varieties based on economic worth. 
So that's basically your spring, summer and autumn dry matter yield is the first first comparison. Grass quality, which is your DMD, silage DM production and persistency in a sward. There is also new grass utilisation figures, which gives varieties a star rating based on how well cows have grazed them out. All PPI varieties are split by heading date and by ploidy, and all of their involved grass seed mixes are from the department's recommended list and are high on overall PPI and have good grazing utilisation star ratings as well. And when you say ploidy, what exactly do you mean there, Finian? So the terms diploid and tetraploid, Right grasses refer to the number of chromosomes per cell in the grass plant. So diploids have two sets of chromosomes per cell and tetraploids have four sets of chromosomes per cell. So typical diploid traits are that they have higher levels of tillers, they are more dense swaths and are higher in, in dry matter. Tetraploid, on the other hand, are higher in DMD, they have a higher level of sugars, they have a larger leaf, they are more open in their growth habits that are less suitable to heavier soil types and are also more open to poaching. There's a lot spoken about clover and we've heard a lot over the past year about, you know, maybe we should be extending the use of clover. So if we're spreading it whenever we're receding, what's the best policy to adopt there? So clover, it's part of the legumea species, which, which are unique as they can fix atmospheric nitrogen. So all farmers in derogation that are receiving this year must include a minimum clover content as part of their grass seed mixture or alternatively over sow um, after setting. So the minimum rate of clover that must be applied is 0.6 of a kilo of naked clover per acre or else one kilo of pelleted clover per acre. And in there, we give three options with all of our grass seed mixes. So the first option is without clover. Second option is with clover at the derogation specifications. And the third option then is a high clover mix, which is designed to achieve 20% clover paddocks. Uh, the main benefits then of clover, so as far as it has the potential to reduce your fertilizer nitrogen use by 100 kilos per hectare. And Chagas has, has trials to prove this as well. There is also a potential increase of 1.5 kilos of dry matter intake per cow per day resulting in an increase of 43 kilos of milk salads per cow um, per year. Are there negatives then in relation to clover that farmers should be aware of? So, look, Barry, I suppose like that, um, it isn't as easy as it sounds, otherwise everyone would have it. So clover, clover needs a soil temperature of 8 degrees, as grass needs a minimum of 6 degrees for growth kicking. So clover is slow in spring, but it does take off during the summer months when temperatures are up. Uh, clover can also cause bloat in cows, and this risk is heightened when cows are hungry and left into a high clover content sward, as they will preferentially graze clover over grass, and this causes a build-up of gas pressure in the rumen. So using a strip wire when needed to limit the clover to the cows is a good idea, and having a level of clover in all paddocks on the farm that they're used to the clover all the time is a good way of reducing the, that risk of bloat. So presently there is no post-emergence clover-safe spray product licensed in Ireland at the moment. Chagas and the industry have gone to the department looking for an emergency license for these products, but we're being told it'll be late May before we get an answer and probably July if the license is granted. 
before products potentially become available on the market here in Ireland. And because there is no clover safe spray, Finian, then how would that d- determine whether a farmer considers over-sowing clover or not? Yeah, so it can be difficult to get good establishment, but it's a good option to over-sow clover. Things must be very right in the field in relation to pH. It must be about 6.5, so that's higher than the usual specifications. And for P and K, your indexes must be trees and fours for things to have a good chance of um, of working. So early summer is the most ideal time to set clover when temperatures are up and after a cut of silage or a very tight grazing. So there are several machines out there that can stitch in or over sow clover or some farmers spread it in the normal fertilizer spreader is an option as well. So the typical sowing rate for over-sowing clover is 2 kilos per acre, along with a bag of 0730, followed by rolling and ideally watery slurry. Grazing the paddock at low covers for the following three rotations is essential. And lastly, uh, but very importantly, um, if we treat our receiving with a non-clover safe spray, control weeds as, as we always would. It's very important to remember that you cannot over sow clover into that new lay for three months, a minimum of three months after the and clover safe spray has been has been applied. Finian DC, Dairy Gold Area Sales Manager in Muskery. Farm Talk on C103. Details regarding a Cork Northwest Community Water Biodiversity Training Project have been announced. IRD Duhallo say they've secured leader funding for a community water biodiversity training project which will run from now right through the summer. Through a series of workshops and field visits, interested participants will learn about the unique biodiversity of Duhallo rivers and how they can work together to protect and enhance them. Whether you are a farmer, an angler, a tidy town activist or an eco-warrior, or if you simply want to learn more about the rivers and habitats they support in Cork Northwest, specifically to Hallow, this project is for you. Further information regarding the project, or if you wish to sign up or receive further information, kindly contact IRD to Hallow, Michael O'Connor, at the following number, 029-606-33. In their April 2021 newsletter, IRD to Hallow, Welcome the national allocation of €50 million Euro for the Leader Interim Programme. While they say they have not been informed of IRD to Hollow's share, they are hopeful of sufficient funds to give meaningful grants to communities and businesses over the next two years. But funding is available for the IRD to Hollow Community Water Biodiversity Training Project. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. And the Minister for Rural and Community Development, Heather Humphreys, has announced the allocation of €70 million Euro in the Transitional Leader Programme. €65 million will be allocated to support locally-led rural development projects across 29 local action groups. €3 million will go to support the Leader Cooperation Measure and €2 million to prepare for the next Leader Programme. Cork North, South and West will share over €4 million Euro in funding. Tiagusk's organising a series of nationwide virtual forest walks via Zoom from April 12th to 21st, focusing on the management of young forests. Each Tiagusk forestry advisor will host a webinar in their area, focusing on local forest management needs, demonstrating why it's essential to care for young forests. These online forest events are aimed at landowners who have established a new forest in the last few years and at those who are considering planting some land.
Local events online will be more relevant to the location of your forest. And for more details and to register, go to tagusk.ie forward slash virtual forest walks. Cork County Mokra is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year with a special reunion night online on April 23rd. The chair of Cork County Mokra, Heather Healy, can tell us how plans are going a fortnight out from the event. Everything is going well. It's a few chaotic weeks. Um, I suppose it's, it's a bit of a different circumstance in comparison to a normal 70th celebration. I suppose in a regular year we'd be in the middle of um, trying to start a dinner dance or something like that. Whereas this year, you know, things went a little bit different. I suppose no organisation was prepared for the year we had. So we tried to come up with a way of celebrating Cork County 70 years, which is a massive achievement. And so he said, we take the online, I suppose that's the way most things are going these days, and organise events, I suppose, just to commemorate the fantastic work that's been done over the years. So the event is going to take place on April 23rd via Zoom. We've hampered, put together, um, now these are unfortunately sold out, but look, it was a, it was a great opportunity to support uh, local car businesses so we said we try and put hampers together that you could enjoy on the night look the the organization and everything it, it's coming together we've two weeks left now to the day so we're looking forward to it and i think the message you want to get out heather is to older members of Macra, those who would have been around over the years you're going back 70 that's it um it's really i suppose the, the reason i'm here is to to get the word out and um, that it's a free online event and um, that you can register for, you can register using the MACRA website itself. It's, um, the event is in under upcoming events. Um, alternatively, you can contact us on social media, including Facebook and Instagram to get the link, or you can email us at carcountymacra at gmail.com. Um, but basically, I'm here to, to get the word out that it would be fantastic to get as many former members of Car County Mocker and present members of Car County Mocker to join in the celebration. On the night itself, we're going to have a, a raffle online. So for all of those who register for the event and are in attendance at the event, we will have a top prize of uh, one for all voucher worth €70 euro, um, just to give out to, to some member who attends on the night. Chair of Cork County Macra, Heather Healy, about the 70th anniversary celebrations taking place online on April 23rd. And for our weekly update on Macra events in Cork, Dominic Tuhig from the Ballon Colleague Macra joins us. No, thanks for having me on, Barry. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Dominic Tuhig and I'm from Ballon Colleague Macra. I'm the sports officer. Now, it's uh, been a big week for Macra in general. We've had a national vote of all the clubs in the country. And we have a new Macra president in John Keane and a new vice president in Elaine Houlihan. I'd like to say congratulations to both of you and best of luck in the new roles. A bit of Shandun news. Uh, this week saw the end of our Coach to 5K challenge. Well done to everyone involved. They'll be moving on to skipping as the next challenge. As well, we'd like to say um, best of luck in the national competitions. Uh, to our members representing us from Shandoon, they are UCC Makra uh, in the ballad group, Glan Myers, Ashling Walsh in the traditional dance, UCC member Neve and Glan Myers member Gillian representing us in Mastermind. Gillian and a White Church member Meg will be representing us in the instrumental, and Glan Myers Mirren representing us in the uh, solo singing. So again, best of luck there now to everyone representing us. Now, in Balancholic Makra, we've had a, a busy time of it too. We've had a couple of meetings recently, and there's been great work on into our own entry into the National Talent Competition. Um, thanks to Moraid uh, Tuig and Jen Cassidy for writing our radio drama entry. 
and to Christine O'Brien, Daniel O'Brien, James Cassidy and Mary O'Neill for lending their voices. Hopefully everyone will enjoy it. Uh, another note, on the 8th of May, Kinsale Makra will be doing the Darkness into Light in aid of Pieta House, so please support that. And UCC Makra will be continuing their weekly events on Monday nights, and any info there can be seen on their Facebook page. Now, I know a lot of people are listening in today for the final results of our usually successful competition. I'm a Makra member. Get me out of lockdown. And I won't keep you waiting much longer, lads. Uh, I'd like to thank Christine O'Brien and Maria Tuig, who organised most of that great event. Um, no, great fun was had by all the entrants in challenges like the Alphabet Aerobics and a Stand in a Bin Challenge. Uh, the overall winners were Mitchellstown, who take away the bragging rights and a lovely trophy courtesy of Ben O'Brien. Thanks for having me, Barry. That was your Makra update. I'm Dominic Tuig from Balancholic Makra. Thanks for that, Dominic. Thanks to John O'Connor for co-producing and contributing to the Farm Talk programme again this week. I'm Barry O'Mahady. Thank you for listening. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Calf Milk Replacer, offering a wide range of calf milk replacers to suit your calf's needs. On C103. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.